Welcome, fellow seekers of the extraordinary. Welcome to our shared quest. A quest not for a thing, but for an idea. A quest not for a place, but into deep, inner, unexplored regions of ourselves. A quest to understand how we can achieve our fullest potential by learning from others who have done or are doing exactly that. Extraordinary stories of overcoming anguish. People who have stood up to challenges with true courage. Stories that will enlighten and inspire. May we always have the courage and wisdom to learn from those who have something to teach. Join me now in Seeking the Extraordinary. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Seeking the Extraordinary. Michael Nathanson has been kind enough to share the host mic with me today. I'm Ron Rubin, President and Chief Culture Officer with the Colony Group. Our guests today, as usual, are nothing short of extraordinary. One of our guests was a finance professional turned entrepreneur with a bias for action and an obsession with high-performing teams. And from there, she pursued a career in professional road cycling while simultaneously running an e-commerce startup. Our other guest is also a former professional cyclist who raced internationally for multiple professional teams since a very early age and accumulated numerous victories and accolades, including prestigiously being crowned the New Zealand Road Race National Champion in 2013. Today, they will discuss their personal evolution, professional journey, founding fuel goods, and more. I am thrilled to learn more about these extraordinary women and all they have to share with us. Please welcome Laura Jorgensen and Courtney Lowe. Welcome, ladies. No, thank you, Ron. Thank you for that amazing intro. I'm flattered. Yeah, and thank you so much for having us. Well, thank you both for joining me for today's episode. There's so much to your background and even more than was mentioned in the introductions as always. So let's just get started. Laura, start with you. Can you share more about your evolution from finance to cycling and now your current role as co-founder and CEO of Fuel Goods? Definitely. I think paths are never linear, right? Like if you would have asked me, 15 years ago, if I saw myself where I am now and having experienced what I did with cycling, I would have never said yes. I played basketball in high school and it was always my dream to go on and play in college, which I did, but suffered numerous ACL pairs, three within the course of 18 months. So I decided, I think the universe is telling me I'm not supposed to play basketball here. So I ended up transferring back home and finishing up college in a more traditional route and but like I couldn't play basketball anymore and I couldn't go laterally anymore either so I kind of segued into running and at that time when I graduated went into finance did you know what traditional route I was an economics major so what do you do eat to something in finance so I was working corporately I love numbers huge geek but also love sport and since I left like earlier than I anticipated, I wasn't ready to be done. So I got competitive at something else, which started with running and then went to triathlon because no ACL is not good for running. So I started mixing in the bike and then switched to cycling only, which was so much better for me because I could do it pretty pain-free. And since I don't do like anything lightly, I guess, all of a sudden I was riding a lot 
while I was also working and I got offered a contract to race professionally. I didn't even know what it meant. Like I went and did a race in California. They're like, we want to sign you for our team. And I was like, oh, like that's cute. And so I went back to work and then realized what they had asked. So asked my boss if I could take like an eight week sabbatical to go do some racing and went and did that. But then never went back to work. <laughs> I just started cycling more and more. Better and better opportunities were in front of me. And it was just so different from what I had ever done, getting to travel and meet amazing people. So I kept at it, still thinking it would be short term, but it ended up being much longer than I thought, which brought along the entrepreneur part because you don't get paid a lot to ride. So I was like, if I want to keep doing this, I have to do something. So that that brought me to what I currently do now, which is just over it, and that was e-commerce and all that. Wow. Great. Great. And what about you, Courtney? How did you first get into professional cycling? It happened early. It did happen early. I think I, I came out of the world competitive. I've been competitive my whole life. I have a dad who used to race bikes. I'd say the elite, national elite level in New Zealand. And then he opened a restaurant with my mom and he couldn't quite fit it in. So... Of course, he then went to marathon running because it was a, a lot more better for his time management and to keep his marriage with mom. Um, and I think that I I started riding next to him when he ran and I, I loved it. And I actually took that triathlon as well because it's like, well, you like to run, you like to ride. It just makes sense. But unfortunately, I sunk when I swam and I'm also terrible at going in a straight line. So when I would get to the bike, I'd be at the back and I just past people and it was just sort of like something that was very natural to me and I loved it and so then I was told try a bike race and I never looked back that was definitely something that I became very obsessed with and I knew that it took over my life and I just wanted to be the best cyclist I could possibly be so I for example I, I chose a university based on the mountains and the riding and the terrain around there yeah. and it 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 I got good fast I was lucky enough to get some coaches that I think helped me enjoy the bike at a very young age. So I could not earn a lot of people burn out early, but I trained like my age should train and I got better and better and raced the world champs um, and some world cups in China and Shanghai. And then, yeah, my net one, my net sold in 2013, which is a big one for me. And in 2011, I came over to get a Merikurugan to race the circuit. And it was really cool. And I got signed by a big professional team the following year, which I, I was with for three years. And yeah, just cycling was life. And that's, that was just a huge passion for me as my identity and something that I wanted to take as far as I possibly could. Wow. So I, I've heard that with, with cyclists, this is a thing. What was the, the most number of bikes you ever owned at one time? Oh, fuck, oh, God, that's a good question. Uh, you wouldn't even want to know. It's like asking a guitarist, how many guitars do you need? And <laughs> their answer is generally just one more. <laughs> exactly. Right. They say yeah. N plus one. How many bikes is the yeah. right number to have? N plus one. Right. <laughs> yeah, I was actually just home in New Zealand with my parents complaining and saying, can you get rid of some of these bikes? Because I only use one and I fly home for a month a year. But yeah, I would say the spare garage. I, well, in, in, in transparency, Courtney and I at one point ran our own team under the Rider Box name. So we had met just the whole team's bikes. So yeah. lots of bikes. Yeah, definitely 15 plus. So I might be out of fingers and toes. Let's yeah. put it that way. 
in golf, you can only have 14 clubs, right? It's a different thing. So, well, how did the two of you meet? And, and how did you begin runner's box and rider's box? And then what's the whole fuel good story? Yeah, so this is, a, this is actually a kind of funny story. So I started racing and the next year got signed by it's, UCI is like the international level of cycling. Got signed by a UCI team, which was a big deal for me. I was getting my first salary. And I get this phone call from our director. And they're like, Laura, we have good news and we have bad news. I said, great. They said, the good news is we just signed New Zealand's national champion. I said, fantastic. And they said, the bad news is we're going to have to give her your salary. Wow. It's <laughs> Like, for person, I sound so all like, okay. So the, my first interaction with Courtney was her taking, I mean, not her, but that she was joining the team and she was going to be taking my salary. No, no. no idea. I was saying you sound yeah, yeah. No idea. Just to no. <laughs> in, in team sports, somebody will get traded to a team and, and the worst thing that happens is they, they need to take somebody else's jersey number, right? <laughs> Here in cycling, you actually have to give like, these new teammates your, your money. In fairness, in women cycling, your salary is like, it's, it's, it's laughable that they can call it a salary. If anything, it should be a stipend, if even that. But, you know, I, so then Courtney was on the team. She was in New Zealand at the time and I was moving to Boulder. Our team was based there. So I was about to move to Boulder. Courtney was as well. So we started chatting, uh, to potentially see if it would make sense for us to live together or whatever, which it didn't, but. We instantly hit it off because Courtney is, and this is on, this is on text. I feel like a lot of people really love Courtney, partially because her accent is so amazing. But like, we were just chatting all the time on Facebook and we decided we were best never met friends. So Courtney was my best never met friend. And then when she came over to America, I was living in Boulder and I had already, was already doing the runner box stuff. So when I quit my job, I was like, I can't make nothing. My, not my salary is gone. So I really got to do something. So that's kind of how the the rider box came about. And it was something to do. It was never like the intention was never to turn it into some massive business or anything like that. It was just to make enough money to live this dream of uh, being a pro athlete. And but I, it, that is hard. Like trying to race at a very high level requires a lot of time and effort. And then trying to work, it means you're, you really have to be efficient. And I would work in really early in the morning. I'd work really late at night. And Courtney was like, you're really working a lot. Do you need some help? And I was like, yes. And I think, so Courtney like just came on helping with random stuff, yeah. but I, I'm sure you, you have experience or anyone listening where you just meet someone who's just, man, they're just a doer. Like Courtney, I, I, she will not be outworked. I swear. So bringing someone like that onto the team. I mean, you're chief culture officer. She was it. Like she's what you always dream about working with. And so we worked really well together. And then kind of the rest is history. We launched the Rider Box together. Yeah. And we did that throughout our entire racing career. So the Rider and Rider Box. And during, it was growing every year, but it was also not something that we could give our full attention to because we were all over the world really racing. But COVID hit and every year I was like, this is going to be my last year racing. And then <laughs> during COVID, I really, and then every year I kept racing, but. COVID really put a stop to that because there was no racing. So I was like, phew, okay, this is like a really logical segue for me to put my head down and really focus on this. So the year that we weren't racing, the business doubled, which was awesome. And then we're like, 
there's so much more. Once we stopped racing, there, we realized there was so much more we could do. I think we're both very passionate about helping people. Not only, I think fuel is one small component of it, but like, how do you become that best version of yourself? And I think as an athlete, fueling is the start of that. And we're like, why are we only doing this for runners and cyclists? We could do this for so many more people. And that's kind of what brought fuel bits to life. I think the biggest limiter for people is they have no idea what they're doing when it comes to nutrition. And that's not like a dig or a judgment. It's just complicated. It's so complex. We were so fortunate to have coaches and directors and sports nutritionists being like, this is what you need to use. The average everyday athlete, active fitness enthusiast, they don't have those resources. And so for us, it was like, how do we unlock that accessibility gap in in nutrition? Because I think everyone wants, maybe not everyone, but most people want to be healthier. They really, really do, but they don't know how to do it and no one's made it convenient for them. So when they go to the shelves and there's a bag of Doritos, they eat it, not because they don't want to make a better choice, but just because it's what's there. We're all living very busy, crazy lives. So we're like, how can we help make this so simple for people and give them some of those resources that we were so fortunate to have? So that's kind of what brought fuel goods to life. Wow. Well, let's break away from the story for a second and maybe learn a little bit more about the two of you. So there's a concept that we have embraced at the Colony Group that we took from the Conscious Leadership Group that I'm not even sure it was their idea. I think it might have actually come from Gay Hendricks, but it's this whole idea of zone of genius. and just to kind of set it up for a second, and then I'll ask you the question. There are four ways we can do things in life. We have our, our zone of incompetence, our zone of competence, our zone of excellence, and our zone of genius. Zone of incompetence is there are things we do that we're not very good at. Everyone knows we're not very good at it, and our energy actually goes down when we do it. There are probably things we have to do in life. For me, it's anything involved involving a household tool. That is a zone of incompetence for me. Zone of competence, those are things that we do about as good as anyone else, but not really better. And our energy is just flat when we do it. Zone of excellence, so that's that's something that you do that you're better at than virtually everyone. Everyone knows that, that you're the best at it. But when you're finished with that project or that task, you you a- actually feel drained. Zone of genius is a very subtle difference. It's something you're better at than virtually everyone. Everyone knows it, but when you're finished, your energy's actually up. Like the endorphins are opening. And so my question for you, and let's start with Courtney, is you think about zone of genius, something that you do might be in your personal life, it might be in the business, but something you do that when you're done, your energy's actually up. What, what is that for you, Courtney, or what comes to mind? So I think for me, I don't know if it's in my culture in New Zealand, how I've grown up, but mine is relationships with people and their authentic connection. I think people fill me up and they, I love learning and I think that's why it fits really well too with my role. At Runner Box and Fuel Business, I work with partners and it's definitely something that I absolutely love doing because I am very passionate about 
what I do and I love hearing it from other people and then finding ways for us both to win in a partnership is, yeah, that's, that's, that feels me. Great, great. That's one of my zones of genius also. Oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. How about, how about you, Laura? Mine is not like that. I'm so appreciative of folks like you who do excel in that area. Mine is, is much more numeric. I think where I like light up and Courtney like can look over and see it happening is I can take data and I can turn it into a story that can make sense to everyone. I think a lot of people can get behind a spreadsheet and they can make sense of numbers, but they don't know how to explain it to anybody else. Whereas like I look at the data and it almost feels like the matrix is happening. Tell like, oh, no, 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 and I'm like pulling it all. And then I can explain it to a four-year-old and help them really understand what's going on. Cause I think it's, that's the, that's the beauty and data analysis I think is really getting those nuggets of like, here's what's actually going on here. And that is something that's always come very naturally to me. I think it's so interesting. I heard it said once, it's like, when you have a gift, you don't know itself because it comes so naturally. And our society has told us that you're supposed to work so hard for things. So as humans, like, unless we're working really hard, we can't always recognize those gifts because they're things that like just happened. Like when I look at the spreadsheet, the thing just comes out and people come over, they're like, whoa, how'd you do that? And I was like, oh, that was what just happened. So I think, I think that was one of the greatest things someone ever said. It was just like, you don't realize they're gifts because they just happen right so i think it's so easy for them to be overlooked so i love this idea of, of zone of genius because it defines it in a way of like it's because you have the special ability that it it is like that right and that's why operating there provides magic right because it doesn't drain us you can stay there forever and achieve just absolutely amazing results it is incredible to see in excel multiple screens of excel and she is she's smiling it's bizarre <laughs> this is what makes for such an awesome partnership that's just, that's great that's great and as you as you continue to build out your company one of the things that we found with our teams in our organization is that the more you can keep people working in their zones of genius like just the creativity and the collaboration and the self-awareness it's like i mean if you could spend 80% of your time working in your zone of genius. I mean, you can't always start there. Conceptually, you've got to start out first identifying it and then set goals. It's like, okay, I just want to spend 25% of my time in my zone of genius or 50, but to build a team around the zones of genius for the people that you're bringing on board. I mean, that's, that's, that's what creates a great team. So, so next question is what makes fuel goods different? from other e-commerce subscription services? How, how is it unique? I think that's a good question. I think that inherently, because Tori and I were running the runner and rider box, like, quote, unquote, to make money, like it was in our career, we, we had this unique opportunity when now looking back, we built the whole thing obsessively built around, like, the customer and our brand partners. And we just wanted to make them have an amazing experience. And of course, we wanted to make money, but we weren't like driving hard for a bottom line. We didn't like have bosses to report to or boards or any of that. And obviously, when you do that, when you focus on the customer and your partners and not the money, the money always comes, right? But when you flip that on its head and you focus on the money, you never get the customers. 
for the brands, right? So I think it's something that is in our DNA is of how we operate, right? Like that's always our first question. Our first question is not how do we make the most money? What is going to, what drives this P&L? It's how do we create an incredible experience for our customers? And I think that lens has totally changed the way that we operate. I mean, even when we were just doing the runner and rider box, every subscription that you look at is shipped every month. And the runner and rider box are not. We shipped every other month because people weren't getting through their boxes, right? They're like, this is too much stuff to try. Our partners, we couldn't give them the same amount of exposure because like a month just flies by. So we switched the model. And in theory, you'd say, wow, but you're making half as much money. And we said, yes, on paper, but not in practice, right? Because customers are staying longer, brands are more excited, they're coming back more often. So I think it's just in principle of, of how we do it. We just do it differently. And that's what I'd say is the biggest, yeah, it's the biggest difference. You see so many subscriptions have come and gone on the internet and it's because they, they were customer obsessed. They were money obsessed. They were trying to click on to the biggest bad. And I think also because I'm just such a data nerd, we not only like we can define that. It doesn't have to just be anecdotal. We can define that numerically of like, what are we doing that our customers are liking and not liking? And we can really drive forward into those veins. Yeah. Great. Great. So uh, many people that I know have a, a daily routine, a practice that they start their day with, and it could look like anything. I'm wondering if, if each of you has a, a daily routine and, and, and what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely do. I do. I'm definitely someone who does very select, mostly the same things every day. My first thing and most important thing is coffee, always. First thing when I wake up and then. I do a lot of reading and journaling in the morning. That sort of gets me going. I I want to do more meditation. That's it's very hard for me to meditate because my brain is generally in a hundred different places. So it's something that I should be doing. But but the journaling is really helpful. I'm a big fan of um, Thich Nhat Hanh, so I read a lot of his books in the morning. And then exercise is priority for me. So. Yeah, it, I have to get my exercise in, and that's usually running now. I'm not riding, training for marathons, so I get some form of run or gym workout in the middle of it, in the morning, work during the day, and then I'll probably exercise again after work. Wow. Okay. Yeah. A, re- a retired professional national champion. Right. That's what that one's like. <laughs> Still doing double days. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say you, Laura? mine's something similar. I get up. Oh, I used to get up. I look back and I used to get up and exercise right away. Like the first thing I did or get on my phone right away. And so something that's very, very important to me is to give myself at least 20 minutes of like, I quiet time, call it meditation, call it whatever you want. I get up, I drink a glass of water first every day. That's not, there's a new thing for me. Then I go to coffee and I sit there and I'm working through Course of Miracles, which is there, they have like a lesson every day. So I finished it last year and now I'm going back through because they have like a manual. So it's important. It's, it is like it's, it's journaling. It's setting my day up. I used to set my day up by going fast and now I set my day up by going slow. So I try to really slow it down and like get my feet grounded. Me and my good friend always say 10 toes down. Like I have to start my day there because it's so easy for me to go off the rails so quickly. Like if I were to open up my phone and see all the emails, I would just lose my mind. So I really need to get myself grounded 
Then usually next I go to my phone and see if there's anything like that actually has a sense of urgency that needs to be dealt with immediately. If there is, I clear that off the deck. And then usually I go do some sort of workout, usually about an hour these days. So I keep it toned down and then eat breakfast, go to work, and then just keep slaying through like anyone else. Nine to five. Well, I feel so aligned with the two of you. That sounds so much like my morning routine. It really does. So uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, so uh, question, when you are working out, are you listening to music? It depends. Usually if I'm doing a gym workout, I'll be podcasting. But if I'm running and I'm not with people, yeah, music, understand. What are you listening to? Everything. Genre. Everything. I have a very, very wide range. Uh, anything from, I mean, I'm a big Trevor Hall fan, but then you could catch me listening to Halsey or Skrillex or country. I'm, if it's intense country, I'm not a big fan, but I like the new, the new stuff. It's a bit poppy, but yeah, I really do. I listen to all music. So I've gone deep down the rabbit hole of audiobooks and podcasts. Some recording gets, she's like, you have to turn it off at some stage. She's <laughs> like, what? you're supposed to be exercising to like detach and you're trying to learn. Stop it. But I get like, sometimes I can't stop myself. But if I, if, and I've really toned down the workouts. If I'm doing something very hard, I'll listen to music because obviously there's absolutely no point in trying to ingest an audiobook while I'm like slobbering. But yeah. And if I'm listening to music, it's, oh, it's gotta be upbeat. I have really, really truly believe that our thoughts become a reality it's like so something that's so important to me and so like i've even the music i listen to i'm only listening to positive things like if your music talks about negativity i don't want it in my ears because i don't want it in my mind so as long as it's upbeat i'm into it we're different now that's very blind so to kind of shift over to baseball for a second, and Courtney, I, I don't know if you're familiar, but in Major League Baseball, when a batter comes to the plate, he they have walk-up music, right? So they play mm-hmm. that that player's favorite song. So yeah. you, you're you're a baseball player. What's your walk-up music? What's that one song as you're as you're coming to bat to face the pitcher? What is it you so want to hear? I think when Laura and I raced, and we lived in Colorado. Pretty much every time we went to do a race, we would play, it's called The Fight Song by Rachel Blanton. It's, it's, it's a really good one. It's about getting over humps and just fighting for what you want. And I think it really, that to me, put me in a really good space, starting especially Criterium, which were a little bit more nerve wracking for me. I think Laura probably pumped it just to get me rammed for it. But yeah, that, that would be my baseball song. I know what we're playing on this one. I think because we listened to it so many times in the team van on the way to races, I want to say all I do is win. All I do is win for sure. Could be a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. Something that I listen to often to get myself dazzed up is a song called Everything's Magic. Oh, uh, yeah. Because <laughs> I think it's about that. Like, I think part speaking of Zone of Venus, sometimes when I race, I black out. I don't even know how it happened. I'm just like, how did this happen? Like, Everything's Magic is just kind of all... You just got to get ready for it to fall into place. Mm-hmm. Cool. Next question. Being an elite athlete is arguably results driven. You have a time, you have a, a place that you come in. How, how did you measure success as an athlete? Was it on a race to race? What place did I come in? I mean, obviously you, you want to win, right? But I mean, how did you measure it in, in, in the realm of, hey, this is my job. This is my career. Is it, was it more than just 
time or place? I think that changes over time. I think for me at the, at the beginning, before I became part of a professional thing, I was about winning, that I would only enter a race because I wanted to win it. And then as we grew into these big teams and I realized how much cycling is a team sport, we had different different winning was different so for example you're leading someone out you're you're doing something where your finish line is in the middle of the race but then the person that you've been helping is fresh for the rest so I think that for me it's helping the team and when the team wins you win so that I think has really helped me to leading a sport because I thought I had got myself into an individual sport when I started cycling and then as I did it it was completely the opposite and I absolutely love that dynamic and especially Laura here, she was, she was one of the ones when she says she blacks out in criteriums, it makes more sense to me because criteriums are very scary. They're very fast and there's corners and very risky. And Laura was usually the one to go at the end. So you lead her out and she would be the one that's taking that last corner way too fast and goes to, to win. And yeah, when, when she got on the podium, it was just like, it's the same feeling as if you were to be the first over the line. Yes, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting because you are so right. It is such a results-driven space in in athletics and just in life. I think we're pushed into what you know what you see on the paper is what everyone else thinks about you, and then that you internalize that, and that's what you think about yourself, right? And I, I again, like I am so so grateful and so fortunate. Even I mean, I played sports my whole life, so this has been drilled in forever, right? I played basketball forever. But I, I had such great coaches and mentors because it wasn't ever about, I mean, it's always about winning, right? But it's, it, it, it's about giving your best. And that's been drilled in me since the beginning. Like if I left a game and we won and I felt like I left something out on the court, that was a failure to me. But if I left a game like that, I didn't, everything I had, I put out there and we lost, that was a win, right? Like there's only so much that you can do there. And even when I shifted to cycling, the first team I rode for, like my one of my greatest mentors, she was, I think she still is, the most winningest female bike racer. So she's accumulated more wins than everyone. She was my first mentor. I'm like, how it was amazing. And before every race, we would do a fist pump and we'd say, safe, fun, successful in that order. So it was always drilled down. Like it wasn't about like, first of all, can, am I safe? Am I having fun? The result will come after that. So I think there is so much value once you let yourself understand. I mean, it's said a million ways over. You can't get any more cliche. It's about the journey, not the destination, right? But I think as soon as you can allow your mindset to shift to that, it changes everything because now you're living in the now and not that future fleeting moment of standing on a podium for two seconds and then, and then what? Yeah. Wow. Thank you. So uh, going back a number of years now, how did the doping scandal in your sport affect your sense and experience of it? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, for me, in female cycling, it didn't, I don't feel like it affected me at all because I didn't believe it was happening around me. I didn't believe it was happening in Europe. So for actual my racing, it, it felt like non-existent when we're looking at more when you're watching the Tour de France and obviously in the sport as a whole. Yeah, I I think it definitely made it seem more like a 
everything with plan rather. It didn't feel like you were actually watching authentic sport in a way. I I hope and I believe that it's changing now. But yeah, I think it's probably a bit. No, I mean, I think I think it's so unfortunate because there, I mean, it's left a lasting shadow on the sport. And even now, you see a guy that outperforms everyone else. And the first question on everyone's mind is, is he clean or is he just doping? And I think that's it's sad for everyone who is doing it the right way. And I'd be lying if I don't think the same thing. So it's, I mean, I think it's a natural question that comes to mind, but I still believe in the sanctity of the sport and there's so much beauty in it still. Like, I don't know how many people listening would be cycling fans, but there was a stage of the tour last year where this guy that doesn't normally win wins and he's literally in tears after just like thanking everyone that he's ever like come into contact with because there's, there is just such a raw beauty that still exists in the sport. So I think we've all been affected and, and skewed certainly by how everything went down. I think that there is, there's a lot clamping down. Mm-hmm. on that on, and what's coming i think we've come a long long way since then but it, it, yeah i think we've all all went in, impacted and i okay. think you just got to take a step back and and remember the beautiful moments of this sport that mm. still exist even with and all that yeah that well thank you both for your candor on that on that question let's let's flip back over to business for a second you've attracted some really talented people to your board, Catherine Collings and so many others. What's your secret of getting all that talent? It's your accent. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> That's your zone of genius, remember? <laughs> That's right. No, I, I think, I, to your point, I mean, sometimes I look at who's on their advisory board and I just, and it like impinging myself. It's such a formidable group of people who genuinely and truly are so invested in helping us grow. And I think that the energy you put out into the world, I really do think it comes back to you. And I think that we're, we're constantly putting out positive energy. And I think that we, we've just been really fortunate. I think another thing is that we're very aware of, we don't know what we don't know. So we're not afraid to ask for help. And I think that humility goes a very long way. I mean, the people that are on our board are so accomplished in so many places that we we are very vocal saying we need some help here. <laughs> and so I think that has been incredibly helpful is just coming in with the spirit of humility and positivity and the ability to ask. Yeah. I think. Putting it out there. And yeah, it is amazing. Like what Laura said, when you put it out in the universe and then like the demo day, we had people coming up to us that were beyond what we could have imagined and they wanted to help and we wanted them to help. So it's just been, yeah, we've been very, very fortunate to get here. We've had on there and definitely pinching ourselves when we, when we look at the advisory board and the people part of it, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So what's next for Fuel Goods? Big things, Ron, big things. Right. Um, I think, you know, in the short term, we are releasing our recommendation feature imminently so within the next couple of weeks so probably by the time this podcast drops but what that looks like is you can go online and you can give us some information about how, like these are the ways i move activities how often the type the form of the type of things i like to eat when before after i do it 
and we're leveraging some pretty awesome tools built by our amazing CTO, Deanna Hodges, that in, in real time will give you a recommendation of these are the things that we think would be a good match for you. These are the products. So really, again, removing that accessibility barrier of being like, what the heck am I supposed to use? We, we clear all that noise for you and we just say, here's a bundle that we think would be awesome for you. So we're really excited about that. With that, we're, we're really going to give you, it's not just like, here's the 12 products. We're going to tell you why for each single one. And that's all automated with tech. So that's really exciting. I don't think anyone else is doing that right now, which is pretty awesome. So we're excited to be the first ones to launch something like that. We're building our, our red partnerships. So like affiliates, we want to bring on, we know you can't grow alone, right? So we want to bring on, on partners, Ryan groups, pickleball groups and tournaments and things like that. People who want to be involved. And then Courtney specifically is working on really not the brand base. So we have an MVP up right now with an assortment of some of our favorite brands, but we're going to be expanding that. And I think those are probably the three biggest things that you're going to see yeah. go down this year. Great. Well, a lot of exciting things happening. So now we'll enter our extraordinary teaching segment. Seeking the Extraordinary presents Extraordinary Teachings, a deeper look at the qualities that allow people to do extraordinary things. So we're going to tick through some questions here. So let's start with what's been your most satisfying accomplishment in life so far? Courtney? For me, uh, the transition, I think, out of cycling. Since I was a very small person, I cycling was television for me. It was my everything with my identity and my purpose of my passion. And I didn't, I went to university to ride my bike. So it, it was my everything. So it's, it's very hard for athletes to, to end their career in, in their sport and then find something else. And I think I was, I, I am very proud that I could find something that I could be just as passionate about and determined in. And yeah, I think that's definitely the, uh, the most satisfying accomplishment. And then also to be able to do that with my best friend. Like, I, uh, you can't get any better than that. Beautiful. Yeah. Laura? For me, uh, probably not the answer people would expect, but I would say graduating college. And I mean that in a way of like, I'm a first generation college student. I went to go play basketball, tore my ACL three times, and then was kind of like, what do I do now financially? I mean, that was a big part of the whole deal. And what I ended up doing, I look back now and I'm like, I don't know how I did that, but I t finished three more years of college in two because I took 18 to 21 credits a semester and I worked three jobs. So not only did I graduate, but I graduated debt-free and I think it was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Not the, cl not the classwork itself, but just smashing it into such a short period of time so that I wouldn't, I mean, just because it was cheaper and then working all the jobs, one of them be coaching in a different county. So I was, it was, it was just wild. But yeah, when I got that diploma and, and walked away, I was just like, wow. Yeah, it was, that was something. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Next question. Any regret? in life so far? For me, no. I think that I, my, my mom put this into me pretty heavy when I was a kid, but I truly believe that everything does happen for a reason. And if something doesn't happen that you want planned, it's something 
if you sit down and think about it and learn from it and grow from it, then it's going to make you a much stronger human in every way. So I believe that, yeah, no regrets. It's all just been growth. Yeah, totally agreed. I, I can't say I've always made the smartest decisions, but I would say there's no regrets, only lessons learned, and it's just the perspective in which you frame it in. Mm-hmm. It's all part of the journey. Yeah. Okay. What single tip would you offer that has helped you each be your most extraordinary self? Mine is learning to be in the now. I think there's so much anxiety in this world and I can speak from uh, experience from my former self. Looking forward, anything can happen and just to be, make the most of now, work as hard as you can right now. How can I be better right now? And that's, that's what's going to produce a beautiful future. Yeah, I think it goes, for me, it goes back to what I said earlier. Change your thoughts, change your life. If somebody would have told me that <laughs> 20 years ago, my life probably would have looked a lot different. But I think a lot of that, I read the book, Loving What Is, and Can I Know It To Be True is probably one of the best questions I've ever learned to ask myself about anything. And as soon as you can change your thoughts, it's so amazing how quickly your life changed. But that is, it sounds like such a simple concept. Soon as you can figure that one out, your whole life is going to look different. I love that book. Oh, good. <laughs> What's the best advice you ever received? I get a therapist, hundred percent. Can't live without one. Think that everyone should have one. Yeah, definitely getting some some form of therapist that you can talk to once a week. And I'd say mine is from my therapist slash mentor. <laughs> Slow the f down. I think sometimes just slow it down. <laughs> you gotta go. You gotta go slow to go fast. Yeah. What have been your best learning opportunities? Mine this has been to, when I. Sorry. This used to be. This used to be. What were your biggest mistakes? But we've been training <laughs> over, over the uh, course really? of these episodes. Mine is when I failed. I think when with failure comes humility. You've got to be able to change directions. Yeah, I think I think with failure comes so much learning and yeah, you don't want to fail twice the same thing. So you you just get better. Um so I'm not scared to fail. Yeah, I think mine is super similar. Like rather than pinpointing one specific instance, it's it's literally looking back any situation where I've been the worst at something or times I've been incredibly uncomfortable. Because I think that forces that learning curve to be so steep because we don't want to stay in that space. And I think um, now I seek the discomfort, like a real, some people are like, oh, you're such a masochist. But I think as soon as you can, it's just a reframing, right? But I think when you put yourself in those situations where you're uncomfortable, you will see such massive growth. And, and, And again, like looking back, that's every time that I've seen kind of those up into the right hockey sticks. It's when I've been so uncomfortable that I had to do something to make that change. Who or your key role models or mentors? I have three. My mom and my dad. Growing up with them, they've owned a restaurant in New Zealand for 38 years. I don't know, I'm 39 this year, I believe. And what kind of restaurant? It's, it's a very New Zealand formal dining. Yeah. It's really one of the steak. nicest restaurants in New Zealand. It's ridiculously good if you ever go to New Zealand. New Zealand. Somerset Cottage. Uh, yeah, no, they, they've been, it's, it's out of my DNA. It's been around more than, longer than I've been alive. And just 
the way that my parents, they work so hard. They brought up two girls that like, yeah, incredibly, I'm very, very close to my family. My dad did marathons. He's gone back to cycling. My mom is extremely hard working. Just to have that growing up with that around me has been, yeah, it, it's why I'm so determined. And then another one is actually Laura. Meeting her, I think she is a huge reason that I have been able to transfer from my cycling career. She's opened my eyes to so much and she's pushed me more than anybody else in my life. Made me realize who I am and don't apply to you. She's a, she, she's a, she's a huge part of who I am today. Mm. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> I think for me, my grandma was huge. I mean, man, did she instill the value of hard work. And it's not necessarily because she ever said anything to me. It was just watching her. She worked incredibly hard. I think Courtney's mom could be on my list. She <laughs> yeah. is one of the grittiest, most well-spoken doers. And she's just absolutely amazing advocate and so personable. And when I met her, I was just like, wow, I, I just want to be you when I grow up. And then, like I said, I've, I've just had some amazing teammates. I mean, Laura Van Gilder, the first, my first ever teammate, first person to ever take me on their team. Um, she's, she showed me what it was like to be a champion and it looked a lot different than what a lot of people think. I mean, one of the most humble, grateful mentors. All she wanted to do was teach people. She was just amazing. And I really credit so much of my success in cycling to her because that was my first experience and above everything else she wanted to keep it fun yeah and i think that's that's why i kept doing it for so long yeah i just i mean I, the list could go on and on but i think sports has been a great great gift to me on um, finding those those coaches and teammates who have been great mentors to me wow that's great Note here, made guests cry. Okay. <laughs> I want to I make sure I tell Michael Nathans from that. Exactly. Make sure you note that down. Okay. okay. <laughs> A couple more questions in the extraordinary teaching segment here. Do you have a personal mission? I think for, it would be just to be the best that I can be in every aspect of life. So everything I do, yeah, I want to do it to my full capacity and yeah, that would. I think that's it. Yeah, I think that that pretty much nails it. I have I have written down actually in a lot of places, but it's what I can be, I must be, and I think that that is where the fruit of life lives. It's knowing that we wake up and finish each day and giving the best that we can to the world. Yeah. Wow. Some people find this this next and last question very similar to that, but we ask it sometimes. It's the answer is different. What do you hope your legacy will be? So I think the last year has been pretty incredible with the mentorship that we have both received getting into this new business and just the help that people have provided, the knowledge people like Catherine Collins, just like it, they have gone above and beyond to, to support us. And we would not be where we are today without them. And I think like, when I get to that point down the road, I, I hadn't said want to help people like us, like where, where we're at right now, build people's confidence and just know that like, yeah, support others like they supported us. Yeah. I think that's, that's the same for me. I think that when I leave this earth, what I want to leave behind is that I helped 
other people find the best in themselves. Mm, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And that is the extraordinary Laura Jorgensen and Courtney Lowe. Thank you both. You can learn more about Fuel Goods on their website, fuelgoods.com. And thank you to our sponsor, The Colony Group. The Colony Group is a national wealth and business management company with offices across the country that itself seeks the extraordinary as it pursues its unrelenting mission of providing clients with peace of mind and empowering their visions of tomorrow. To learn more about The Colony Group and how it manages beyond money, visit thecolonygroup.com. You can also follow The Colony Group on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Colony Group. For Seeking the Extraordinary, I'm Ron Rubin. Until next time.